Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Warriors, the foreign affairs podcast that asks, what else is happening in the world? I'm S.E. Cup. Last week, sources told CNN that President Trump floated the idea of reducing America's refugee intake to zero next year. And of course, because of the political environment, that news was mainly framed around the issue of immigration at our southern border and refugees seeking asylum from countries in central and South America. But such a policy would also have repercussions around the world, and in particular for Syrian refugees who've been fleeing genocide and civil war in that country for nearly a decade. Now, there was a time when the U.S. took in those refugees, but under Trump, our country's admission of Syrian refugees has decreased exponentially. For example, in 2016, we accepted upwards of 12,000 Syrian refugees. In 2018, just 62. 62. And if the president has his way, that number will be zero in 2020. Now, those low figures are, in my mind, appalling, but you might think, well, if we're not taking in Syrians, at least we're protecting some of them with our own military over there in Syria, right? We've got, we've got a base there. Well, yes and no. Washington Post columnist Josh Rogan this week exposed a stunning and, might I add, preventable humanitarian crisis happening in U.S.-controlled territory in Syria. He writes that just a few miles from an American military outpost, some 30,000 civilians are in crisis with almost no food, water, or medicine. These innocent people are living under the protection of the United States, fearing the Bashar al-Assad regime, Iranian militias, and the Islamic State. But the U.S. government, which bears primary responsibility for their fate because of its control over the area, is standing by and watching them needlessly starve to death. Now, Rogan explains that the civilians are living in the Rukban uh, IDP, uh, internally displaced persons camp, most of them having arrived there after fleeing Homs when the Assad regime reduced the province to essentially rubble. Now, the last aid convoy came to Rakhvan in February. And in one of the many things about this Syrian conflict that's completely frustrating and baffling, UN aid convoys must now get permission from Assad to go there. That's right. American officials are well aware of the starvation happening under their noses. And Rogan asked some of them about it point blank um, just earlier this week. So why are we seeing yet another example of inaction in the face of ongoing preventable tragedy in Syria? CNN political analyst Josh Rogan joins me now to discuss exactly that. So Josh, you know, I I know you've been following this for years. I've been following this for years, adding insult to considerable injury. Explain how this group 
came to fall under U.S. protection. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Essie, and thanks for bringing attention to this humanitarian crisis that's happening on our watch, under our protection, as we speak. And, you know, there are so many parts of the Syrian tragedy, as you mentioned, and so many people suffering and so many opportunities lost for the United States to do what it has done historically all over the world, which is protect people who are being slaughtered by their regimes. Um, but this case is particularly egregious. And the reason it's so special and so horrible is because these 50, what used to be 50,000 people, now about 30,000 people, decided to set up camp near a U.S. military base called Al-Tanf for the reason that they believed that the United States military was the only one who could protect them from being slaughtered by the Assad regime, infiltrated by ISIS, or attacked by the Iranians. And for a number of years, that sort of worked, although they were poor and struggling and sick and, and pleading for international help. Aid convoys once in a while got through. And meanwhile, by the way, the U.S. base recruited from the camp and used the men and boys in the camp to fight ISIS, something that's in our interest that they did because we were giving them protection. And, you know, about six months ago, all of that broke down. And what happened was the U.S. government had been negotiating with the Russians, because we can't talk to the Assad regime, about letting these U.N. aid convoys reach these starving people. And uh, the Russians and the Assad regime decided, why would we feed these people? And isn't it better to have them starving? And by the way, the fact that they're starving while living next to a U.S. military base is a really bad story for the U.S. and is part of the Assad regime's propaganda and the Russians' effort to push us out of that area. And the United States government, the Trump administration, seeing that this had failed, just decided that it, it couldn't feed these people because if we start feeding them, the theory goes, uh, we'll be responsible for them. And then it'll start to look like an occupation and that could have diplomatic and legal implications. Well, let me uh, ask you about that because that, that, that's some of the, the this breaking news that you brought to this reporting. You asked James Jeffrey, the U.S. Special Representative for Syria, why the U.S. wouldn't feed the camp residents. As you say, his answer was... It would look like we're setting up a permanent occupation when our role isn't long term. What what the point he he was making was that, in fact, Russia would use that to sort of suggest that we are, in fact, um, a permanent occupation. I, explain what you think he he meant by that. You know, once you d start taking responsibility for an area, then you have responsibility for that area. Yeah. And, you know, the Russians are, are, are want to make us responsible for that area because they want to claim that we're invading Syria illegally rather than doing what we say we're doing, which is to fight ISIS. Right. The problem is that basically they're saying you follow international law, but we don't have to. They're holding us to the letter of these 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 rules that they're blatantly violating while they just slaughter people and bomb civilians and hospitals and schools. The Assad regime is torturing and murdering people by the thousands, mm. starving people by the hundreds of thousands. So the absurdity to these poor people who are living in this camp that the U.S. government finds a diplomatic legal reason not to feed them while the, it's actually the Assad regime and the, and the Russians who are want them dead uh, is just crazy. And they don't know what to do. They don't know how to appeal to the United States. So they literally took to Facebook and Twitter to beg for food and help. Yeah. Right. And that's the state they're in. And what they say on these Facebook and Twitter posts is, is mortifying, okay? Yeah. Children dying from lack of food and water, lack of basic 
schools and clinics. You know, they don't even know why the children are dying because they can't, they don't even have the medical equipment to figure it out. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's just no jobs, no income. All the roads are closed. They can't leave. They can't work. They can't eat. They can't do anything. And they're looking to this American military base and they're saying, you guys have food. You have planes. You seem right to there. be able to get food into us. Yeah. We're living under your protection. We don't want to go back to the regime. We don't want to go back into Assad's hand, but we'd probably rather not starve to death. And they're right. put to this horrible life or death choice. They're being starved into this choice. And many of right. them go back to the regime. And what happens when they go back to the regime is very clear. They get conscripted or detained or tortured or killed. Right. right? Th that's the other option. To a death sentence. Right. So, and, and, so, and hard to keep your family together necessarily uh, yes. without process. But what Jim Jeffrey said, I, I basically said to him, I said, so the problem is if we start feeding them, we're going to have to keep feeding them. Right. He said, yes, that's the fear, which is absurd on its face, because even though we might not be able to feed them later, even though Trump could snap his fingers and pull us out of Syria at any time, and everybody knows that, that's not a good reason to let them starve to death 10 miles from a so U.S. military. So I, I have a series of why questions for you. Sure. And you might, you might not know the answer, but, um, you know, go along with me. Why doesn't the U.S. at Altamf transport these people to areas outside of Assad's reach, uh, you know, in the north or on the Turkish border or to other camps? Yeah, it's a really good question. So there is a scheme to try to negotiate their exit. But again, who are we negotiating? Negotiate. Why with? not just do it? Why not just do it? Well, because the entire U.S. policy in Syria is based on this premise, which I call an alibi, which you might also call a lie, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right? And that premise is that we're working with the Russians to get a settlement, right? Right. So and everything that's an is, Obama era, you know, constriction. That should, the Trump era, we Trump administration out. has continued, to yes. be fair, yes. right? And it, the reason it's an alibi and a lie is because the Russians don't care about working with us and they're mm -hmm. abusing this diplomatic process in order to advance their military goals mm -hmm. while painting us as people who are starving civilians and supporting terrorists. But anyway, the Trump administration has no other option, no other story to tell other than we're working with the Russians to solve all these problems. So if you're thinking in that mode, well then, okay, we have to work with the Russians to settle what's going on with these people. And there's a UN system that the Russians and the Assad regime are abusing. So the basic reason is that the Trump administration can't break from this basic idea that everything has to be done in cooperation with the Russians. Mm -hmm. Now, that hasn't worked for eight years, as you pointed out. That right. was what the Obama administration said. It didn't work then. It's not working now. And real people are dying as a result now. When you talk about Idlib or Raqqa or something else, you could see a logic for working with the Russians. But these are people who are living under our protection. These yeah. are people who we are responsible for. There's an argument under the Geneva Conventions that since they live under an area we control, we have to, under international law, feed them and not let them die. Of course, that would, again mean that we're acknowledging that this area is under our control. But that's a reality. That's right. what's happening. It's and not so we can we can ask. And I've 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 made I've suggested this premise countless times over the course of the, the Syrian genocide. We can argue forever about how we got pregnant, but we're pregnant. Right. Let's let's figure out how we're going to raise this baby. Um, my next why question to you. And maybe this sounds maybe this sounds naive, but, you know, the U.S. government lies or withholds information as as a matter of course, and that's not sure. a that's not a, a slight, that's not no, a criticism. A that's what we do of oftentimes in the interest of our national security. We conduct secret operations, secret missions. Sometimes we don't learn about them for years and years and years. Why not 
secretly feed them and figure out later how to explain how suddenly they got the help they needed. I mean, it's not as if we're incapable of this. As as your reporting points out, we are actually feeding the soldiers we, rec- we recruited, just not their families. We're letting their families starve. Listen, if the CIA decided to secretly feed these people, I'd be fine with that. But there's a there's another issue at play. And that's that, you know, we're trying to prove to people all over this region that they can trust us, right, that they can work with us mm-hmm. and we won't let them get killed and starve to death, right? That's also a big part of this. Mm-hmm. The reason the Russians want these people to starve to death is because it looks bad for us, right? right? So, yes, feeding them secretly is better than not feeding them all. But why not tr- actually... Act, do what we claim to do, which is yeah. to stand up for the downtrodden and to save people from suffering and horrible, needless starvation, yeah. especially when they're working for us. We can't win hearts and minds in the Middle East if the people have empty stomachs and we can't pretend uh, that we're letting people die or uh, much less let people die. We what we have to do is acknowledge that we've made a commitment to certain groups of people. And at the very least, yeah. you know, if they're depending on us and the difference is slowly starving to death or us giving them a little food, uh, that should be a no brainer. Well, listen, you know, as you know, well, at least this is how I feel. Syria is not our fault. Assad's ruthless genocide, sure. you know, against his own people to maintain his grip on power is the reason that half a million people have died, 50,000 of them children. But our inaction over the decade has certainly made things worse. I mean, he has crossed, Assad has crossed red lines to little or no consequence. He has grown emboldened while we look away. It's, you know, it's the genocide that we've ignored. And now we're allowing civilians under our purview, our responsibility to starve. As you mentioned, it is just one horrifying chapter in a book of human atrocities that I just don't think history is going to look back upon and think about us kindly. I totally agree. This is a stain on all of us. And, you know, we've made so many mistakes in Syria and hundreds of thousands of people have died, millions of refugees, uh, millions of internally displaced citizens. This is a tiny part of that. It's just 30,000 people. But these people are still alive. Okay, And these people are begging us for a little bit of food. And, you know, if we don't give it to them, they will surely die. And, you know, there's no excuse. Despite all the mistakes we've made, despite all of the tragedies of the Syrian conflict, this is something we can solve now. One tweet, one snap of the finger would allow the U.S. military to do what they do all over the world, which is save people's lives. It's something they know how to do. It's easy to do. And, you know, we are where we are in Syria. It's a humanitarian tragedy of epic proportions. There's no way to go back and fix all the mistakes we made. But this is a mistake we're making right now. This is a mistake that we don't have to make. And thousands of innocent lives hang in the balance. Josh Rogan, uh, the piece is up at Washington Post. I encourage everyone to read it. I've said this many times um, over the course of the decade. Some, Some things are hard to watch and look at, but I hope that you do. And I hope that through this piece, you also go and check out some of these Facebook posts from the folks uh, living in Rockban and in, in, in these camps starving it's to called, death. It's called The Voice of Rockban. They're on Facebook and Twitter. Go tell their story before it's too late. Josh Rogan of Washington Post, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate your reporting and, uh, you know, for, for being on this story when so many are, are really distracted with other things and for joining Weekend Warriors this week to talk about it. Thank you for covering it. That does it for me this week. I'm SC Cup. Join us next time for another episode of Weekend Warriors.
When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.